Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will continue in our series going through the book of Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible or your Bible app to Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. What a strong line. God, give me faith to trust what you say. Today we focus on this matter of spiritual growth and we continue our series, Living Change Lives. This series, as I introduced last week, is a survey of the book of Colossians. And this book, which was originally a letter, was written by Paul in about A.D. 62 from prison in Rome. Now, the church at Colossae wasn't directly founded by Paul. It was founded by a man named Epaphras who likely heard the gospel from Paul while Paul was preaching for three years in Ephesus, A.D. 52 to 55. Today, that's in south-central Turkey. Paul never visited that city. But he wrote this letter in response to a visit from Epaphras. Epaphras was the founder. He spread the gospel among people in that town, and many received Christ. However, some errors, some false teachings, some heresy was coming into the church. So he walked over a thousand miles to Rome to tell Paul of his concerns. And Paul wrote this letter back to Colossians, the people at Colossians, to instruct them in right believing. In particular, this teaching was undermining the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. And so Paul wrote wrote this letter to correct that false teaching. Now, because the church contained both Jews and Gentiles, the heresy had contributions from both ways of thinking. The false Roman Greek philosophy had worship of many, many different gods, and they sought to have this deeper knowledge to know about the mysteries of God. The Jews contributed the false teaching that even after faith, you still had to keep the law. You still had to participate in ritual. So you had heresy pouring in from two different sides out of people's past. Colossians is a short book But it's a very Christ-centered book, as we displayed last week from the word cloud. Only four chapters in length. And so it provides for us a very good foundation for what to believe and how to live as believers. Now, I made this personal request of all of you, and I urge you, read through this book. Read it three, four, five times this summer instead of stepping away from spiritual growth this summer, step toward it. Continue to attend services and be prepared. If you use the app, it tells you on Saturday what we'll be focusing on on Sunday. So read it in advance, pray through it. After the service, you can take your message guide 
And you can write out answers to the questions in a journal. You can discuss it with someone. Because we're trying in so many ways to help you integrate God's truth into your life. Today's message is entitled Spiritual Growth. And the theme verse that I chose from this passage is you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, a lot of times we think growth is from information. It's not. It's from relationship. And as we know God better and we know his truth better, we mature spiritually. Our passage today focuses on Paul's particular prayer for spiritual growth for this church. It's interesting that in many of his letters, he instructed in theology, and theology just means the study of God. But before he did so, he told the people what he was praying, particularly, particularly for them. Now, today's Father's Day. You all know that, right? You bought your cards. You sent your notes. Well, what is a father's responsibility regarding spiritual growth in his children? Certainly, it's to provide, put a roof over their head, put clothes on their back, straighten their teeth, you know, all those things. But isn't spiritual guidance the most important thing a father can give his children? Watch this video. I did almost 21 years in the military. I uh, served in Iraq twice, Kuwait three times, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba once. Been all over, really. But most importantly, I'm a father to my handsome son, Elijah. He's nine. And I treasure fatherhood. I treasure fatherhood because of some of the things that I've been through in my life. Um, I was injured my second tour in Iraq. I had a moderate tra traumatic brain injury from a suicide bomb explosion. I've had 10 major surgeries in my life. I've had three blood clots, uh, lung condition. You know, these are things that can, you know, kill in a heartbeat, you know. And of course, going through some things like that, it, it put a strain on, on, on my marriage and uh, ended up getting a divorce. And my ex-wife and I, we have joint custody over our son. And I really treasure the time that I, I spend with my son. Um, he's really my world. I stay active with him. I'm active in his school. I'm just active in his life. Um, so I thank God for, for him. One of the reasons I think I treasure fatherhood is because I, I never knew my biological father. I did have someone that, that taught me, and that was my great-grandfather. He actually taught my brother and I different things as far as life. Um, so if I could look at a father figure, you know, it would have been him. As a single dad, it's not always easy. It's sometimes a challenge, but I definitely want to instill in my son the importance of spirituality, um, not just church, because even outside of church, I, you know, I teach him the importance of having a, a relationship with the Lord, you know, outside of church and the home. I know it's important, I know in the end, as I raise him up the way that God wants me to raise him up, you know, he won't run from that or he won't lose that. I just want him to know the importance of not only just going to church, but being active. I'm so grateful for serving at Brookwood. I, my 
Elijah, he used to greet with me at the door, but now he's doing the production upstairs with the kids. He loves it. I absolutely love working at learning the productions. I'm doing the cameras. I love greeting. I mean, I love to put smiles on people's faces and it just blesses me. So I'm so excited to serve and I want my son to feel the same way and he does, he actually does, he loves it. I, I wanna lead by example with my son. I don't wanna be the type of father that just tells my son to do something that I'm not doing. I think when, when he's when he sees me praying at night or when he sees me reading the Bible, you know, he sees it in me. He sees that I'm not just talking it. And then before we go to bed at night, we get his kid's Bible and we'll read a story out of it. So it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that, you know, God knew even before the beginning of time that where I was going to be at this point. And I just, I, I welcome it. I welcome the challenge. And I'm very thankful for God blessing me to be able to be a father for my son, and I just I have to pray for that strength every day because it's not always easy. Dads, what are you teaching? What are you teaching your children about faith? What are you teaching, dads? What are you teaching your children about faith, about God? You're always teaching your children something. And we encourage or we discourage our kids' ability to trust God by the way we relate to God and the way we relate to them. Are you teaching your children that authorities can be trusted, that they're forgiving, that they're kind? Because kids, without thinking, put their father's face on God. That's where they start. So what lessons are you teaching your children in terms of relating to God. You know, we must guide our children's faith. We must pray for their spiritual growth. Paul did that. Now, we don't know that Paul had any of his own children, but he was always like a father. He was always parenting young Christians. And we see it clearly in Paul's prayer for spiritual growth for the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, we begin at verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. And what he heard was shown in verses 3 through 8 of that same chapter. He heard from Epaphras some, some very good things, but then some very disturbing things. And so he continued to pray. Paul, remember, was an apostle, which didn't merely mean he was a messenger. He meant he was an official representative of God. And he instructed the Colossians on correct theology. But he began by telling them he was praying for them. Paul knew that his prayers were powerful elements in encouraging the faith of these people that he loved. Perhaps his prayers were more influential than his teaching. Ephesians 6, 18. Paul stated in several letters that he had been helped in practical ways by the prayers of others for him. Included his provision, his safety, even his deliverance. 2 Corinthians 1.11, Philippians 1.19. What do you believe about prayer? Do you believe prayer is powerful? 
You know how you know whether you do? Tell me. Whether you pray. If you don't pray, you really don't have confidence in the power of prayer. You will do what you believe. Paul's prayer provides a model to pray for spiritual growth. For others, for our children, and also for ourselves. He first prayed that the Colossians would receive knowledge of God's will. Continuing in verse 9, the middle part. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. The false teachers in the church, as I mentioned, were advocating additional sources of insight. Insight into the divine mysteries of of God in addition to the gospel and the scripture. Today, a lot of people aren't satisfied to merely hear what the Bible says. They need some other knowledge. Today in our culture, it's mostly taken from this culture. But Paul was saying, no, that source of knowledge and the source of wisdom is God and God's word. And so he was praying that these people would receive complete knowledge of God's will. So they could not be confused by these false teachers. See, if you know what you believe, no one will be able to talk you out of it. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now, how do we know God's will? Well, his general will is revealed in the scripture. And God won't change his opinion of anything that's been reported to us from his word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But his specific will in your particular situation will be revealed to you personally and spiritually by his Holy Spirit as you pray. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. So how do I learn God's will? Anybody want to know that? Anybody want to know that? Okay. <laughs> Let's have some vigor in this room. <laughs> Here's how. We've looked at this over and over. Romans 12:2. If you want to know God's will, here's what you do. First, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. In other words, don't get your information from this world, from television, from our culture. Let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think. Is God changing your thinking? Do you know it? Have you experienced it? And as God is changing your thinking, you will know his will. Does that make sense? You think, well, I thought, I thought that it was sort of a propositional thing. I ask a question, I get an answer. Perhaps in a specific situation, but the way we know God's will is by knowing God. And as our thinking is changed, we'll learn to know his will. And because we've been changed, his will, not our ideas, his will, not our culture's opinions, will be good, pleasing, and perfect. So where are you getting the information that's directing your life? We must refuse to be guided by this culture. Instead, we have to spend time in God's word. There's there's no way around it. 
We have to spend time in God's presence so that he transforms us. That means he changes our thinking and he replaces the lies we believe about him, about ourselves, about this world, about eternity. Time with him will replace the lies you believe with his truth. And when you're transformed in your thinking, you'll know God better, you'll know him more intimately, and you will just be able to discern his will from the relationship. Does this sound reasonable? How many of you are married? Who's been married more than a decade? Jim, you have an idea what Paula's will is in most instances? Is that true? You mean, I'm going to ask you that question again. I didn't ask you if you were too stubborn to do it. Do you know Paula's will in most instances? We do. I've been married 30 years. Not all instances, but in most instances, I can anticipate which direction my wife's going in on a matter. Can't you? It doesn't mean I ask her that question in advance. It means I know her. And through our intimacy, through my awareness, I can anticipate her. Well, you're saying we can know God that way? That's exactly what I'm saying. We can know God that way. Not, not perfectly, not totally, not exhaustively. You can't know everything your spouse thinks, uh, thinks in advance. But you can know a lot of it in advance. If, what? Come on, give me something. If you've spent the time. Jack, if you've paid attention. You got me out here? If you've paid attention. Paul prayed that the Colossians would know God's complete will. The Greek literally says that they would be filled with the will of God. But they would also receive spiritual wisdom and understanding to know how to follow God's will. Now, if you look at the Greek, these are similar words, but the Greek varies a little bit. So you can understand it this way. Wisdom refers to knowing what to do. Understanding means knowing how to do it. But they're very similar. What guides your life? Does God's will or does this world's opinions guide your life? Think of your last major decision. What guided your decision making? Knowledge of God's will with wisdom and understanding will result in God-pleasing lives. Colossians 1.10. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Literal, the literal translation, some of you are, are carrying King Jimmy in here. And it, so it says, walking worthily before the Lord or walking worthily of the Lord to all pleasing. That's real literal. Receiving wisdom and understanding 
of God's will leads to change lives that will always honor and please God. You know, have you noticed how often our Christian culture makes excuse for misbehavior? Have you? Nobody's perfect. Nobody does everything. Why are you going that direction? This verse says, if your thinking's been changed, if you know the will of God, your life will how often? You don't believe that, do you? Well, why not? Then why not always? Come on, somebody, give me an answer. Why, so why do you not always please God? Who said that? That's a courageous person. Yes, you don't want to. It just happened to me. No, it didn't just happen to you. You're stubborn. I like that. Now, now this, I like this crowd's beginning to get worked up a little bit. I like that. Spiritual knowledge of God's will. When the Holy Spirit reveals truth to you, results in conduct that conforms to God's desire for your life. Did you hear that? Was that a complicated sentence? Let's try it again. Spiritual knowledge of God's will, which is when the Holy Spirit reveals this truth to you. You know, when I've taught y'all this, when it's like the, the word jumps off the page, right? I'm not talking about just reading a verse. I'm talking about when this verse reads you as well as you read it. When this word, when this truth is revealed to you, it will result in conduct that conforms to God's desire for your life. Here's why, and I've said this many times. We always do what we believe is true and right. Do you disagree with that? Anybody disagree? Come up here with me if you do, and I'll spend the rest of this. Do we do? Is that true? We always do what we believe is true and right. Now, you may say, well, I did this and I know it wasn't right. No, no. At the motivational level of you, you thought what you were doing was actually right. You gave lip service to maybe what the Christian right or wrong was, was, but inside what motivated your behavior was what you truly thought was right, the right thing to do. We always do what we think is right. Knowing God's truth will lead to living God-pleasing lives. You say, well, I don't, I don't know God's truth a lot of times. You act like it's so easy. Perhaps you don't hear for this reason. James 1 gives us a reason, verses 5 through 8. I think sometimes God doesn't speak because we haven't decided to obey you know, sometimes we pray and then we decide, well, that's God's opinion, now let me think. And you know, who is really God over our behavior? We are. God has an opinion, the culture has an opinion, I have the trump card. 
I play, I decide what I do. Mm -mm. So why would God tell you what he wants? That's the wave tossed back and forth by the wind. And the scripture says in James 1, someone like that shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. Because you haven't decided whether you're going to walk in the world or you're going to walk in God's will. You want to hear from God? You decide. God, you show it, I'll do it. God, you reveal it, I'll walk in it. But if you're holding the decision to your chest, expect silence. Isn't that fair? Would you tell your child your opinion if you knew they wouldn't even pay attention to it? You're just wasting words. It just frustrates you more. So let's look at, continue in verse 10. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Good fruit is evidence of salvation. Good works are the fruit, they're not the root of salvation. They don't cause it, they display it. It's not a condition of salvation. And fruit can take lots of forms. It can be transformed character. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. It can be sacrificial service. You saw, you know, Donovan does all kinds of things around here. He, he does the work of about, or the volunteer work of about three or four. You know why? That man's life's been changed and he just wants to show appreciation. Generous giving. Are we stingy toward God? Faithfully praying for people. Who are you praying for right now? Every Christian should have at least one person whose, lives you're, whose life you're praying for. If you have children and grandchildren, they ought to always be on your lips for the right spouse, for salvation for the young ones. You know, I've got a 17-month-old. I'm definitely praying for God to save his soul, God to use his life. And didn't you pray for your children to have the right spouse? Even the right job, the job that glorifies God? What are the prayers that are on our lips? Leading another person to Christ. Who are you trying to be a messenger to? Who are you trying to lead into eternity? Christians ought to always have someone. I don't mean you're badgering them or hounding them every day, but you're praying for them you're trying to talk to them as the door opens we ought to always have someone like that on our mind and heart and on our lips true born-again believers will continually exhibit the faith the fruitfulness of good works as long as we stay connected to Christ Jesus said if you remain in me and I remain in you you will bear fruit John 15 5 so here's a question. What fruit are you bearing right now? If you looked over at your spouse and said, what fruit am I bearing on my branches right now? Because th that person will know. What fruit am I bearing? 10C. This is a powerful verse. All the while, you will grow. What? What's the end of that say? How will you grow? Do you believe that? 
Go to more Bible studies. Maybe. Attend more services. Perhaps. But we, sometimes we make these steps so formal and we wonder why nothing's happening, right? Because the issue is, are you learning to know God better and better? Okay, so what are you doing? Everybody answer me at the same time when I count to three. What are you doing so you know God better? One, two, three. Oh, no, oh, no, that, oh. Some of you aren't doing anything, apparently. Well, he's not going to get me to talk. Well, why don't you take a look at that, what that shows? Somebody yelled stubbornness a while back. What are you doing? If I said, what are you doing to know your spouse better and better? And you quit trying years ago, I'll promise you your house is not a happy place. What are you doing to know your children better and better? Because they're still growing. They're changing. So what are you doing to stay connected with your children? Well, you know, they don't want me around. No, no, that's not good enough. What are you doing to know your child? You see? Well, what are you doing to know God, to continue to know God? Because you know what? He's changing as he reveals. His character's not changing, but what he's revealing to you is ever deeper, ever more comprehensive in your life, sometimes ever more demanding in your lives if you're willing to submit. Spiritual growth and maturity, you see, come from greater awareness of God and his truth. You see, that? that's what maturity is. I know something about God I didn't know before, which means I know something about myself and my life in relationship to him. What are you learning about God? You know, as you walk out, ask the person who came with you, what have you learned about God this past week? This past month, hopefully at least this past year. What have you learned about God? You know, I I took my, Leanne and I took my little Um, grandson to a wonderful park over in Spartanburg. My daughter now lives in Spartanburg County. Her husband works in Spartanburg, Aubrey. And um, I watched him look at everything. Have you noticed it? They study plants. They study this, this, there was a water park, great water park at a, a place in Spartanburg County, softball fields, all kinds of stuff. Tiger River Park. And he looks at everything. Because every day he's learning something new. The world's new to him. Is God new to you? Are you trying to learn something new about God every day? Each time you sit with him in the morning, before you close your eyes in the evening, he has something new to show you about himself. Keep pursuing, keep pursuing. Because that maturity comes from greater intimacy. Praying for spiritual growth also includes asking to receive strength from God's spirit. Verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. The word glorious comes from a Greek word doxa. You know, those of us that grew up in the old timey church sang the what? 
the doxology. And what it was is it was praising the glory of God. Well, what does glory mean? Well, it just means his manifestation of his attributes. In fact, the scripture says that, that God's glory touched down in the holy of holies on the mercy seat. It was where God's attributes, it's where God's presence was tangible. And so here we see Paul writing, say, we, I want you by prayer, by praying to be strengthened with all of God's glorious power, which means God's limitless power, God's indescribable power. Now the Greeks and Romans sought power but they sought it by connecting with all these various gods and all these different rituals. And you know, someone would discover a new ritual and here's a, here's a way to protect yourself from evil spirits. Here's a way to make sure that you'll get more wealth or influence. But Paul wanted these Colossians to know God alone is the source of limitless power. Not the gods of this world. See, we think the gods of this world promise power but what are the gods of this world money position in our culture good looks look at me on Instagram if you're posting all those pictures on Instagram you need a lot of work I don't know what you think you're getting out of that. You come and show me. I'll let you. Here, I'll give you a picture. Put that on there one time. Make everybody go blind. But Paul prayed that God would impart his power to these Colossians. Not to fulfill their selfish ambitions but so they could live lives that were worthy of him. I'm too weak to do this. I can't do it. Yes, you can. How much power do you have? Because God's is unlimited. How much of it do you want? And what are you willing to access it, to do to access it? Some of us don't even try to access it, do we? And then we wonder why we're so susceptible. You know, I don't know if you've recognized this, but we're engaged in ongoing conflict with our culture. Our, our culture is fighting us. And it's surprising just how many television shows are antithetical to Christ and faith. We need power to resist temptations. And most of our temptations come from where? Where? Within. But some come without. We do battle demons. Don't fool yourself that there's no, not a spiritual war going on. Ephesians 6, 12. But the power that we receive from God is his glorious power. So it's not just enough strength to supply this particular need. It's limitless power from God's manifested nature. Don't say you're weak. You might be stubborn, but if you, know, if you know Christ, you have access to glorious power. Ephesians 3, 16, look at this. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, see the same word again, he will empower you with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. 
Do you need strength? Ask for it, but decide you're going to obey it when you receive it. You see my point? Decide you're not gonna lose power for some kind of self-grandizement. You're gonna use power to walk in the way of God. I think he'll give it. He says he will. And the result of receiving this strength, this power is here. So you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. That star means that, that joy can relate either to what came before or what comes after. And I think it relates to what came before. Now, again, endurance and patience are similar, but in the Greek, you can see it. There's a little bit of distinction. Endurance is withstanding difficult circumstances. Patience is withstanding difficult people. Which one do you need? Both. Well, they're, we use them interchangeably in English, but there are little distinctions. But when you possess the power of God, you can endure trials. You can even suffer. And you can do it patiently and with joy. James 1, 2 through 4. See, the, the right perspective for us when we encounter suffering, even temptation, is to say, thank you, God. I count this joy because this is an opportunity to have my faith refined. Now, when the last temptation, when the last bit of suffering, when the last trial, when the last test struck you, how'd you respond? Nobody, nobody in here responded, woe is me, did you? The proper response is, thank you, God, for this trial because it offers an opportunity to be strengthened in my faith again. Are you experiencing trials right now? You know, as Christians, you're either immersed in trials or they're coming. Well, why do you say that? That sounds really negative. No, no, because God is committed to refining your faith. And he refines our faith, not in the days of plenty. He refines our faith in the days of difficulty and destitution. Are you willing to be refined? See how different this perspective is than the American dream? Are you willing, do you want to be refined in your faith? Philippians 4.13, you know this verse. Those of you that like tats, get this tatted on there. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. But get a good tattoo artist or it'll say, I can do everything through Chris. <laughs> I love it when I see those mistakes, you know. <laughs> they got a strike out in another word tattoo. <laughs> God deliver me from my warped sense of humor. <laughs> Spiritual growth includes the ability to respond with gratitude for our inheritance. Verse 12, always thanking the Father, 
He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Spiritual growth and maturity will be demonstrated through awareness of and gratefulness for what God has done for us. Have you noticed how gratitude changes your entire perspective? You know, right now I'm complaining. I've got this happening. I've got that happening. I don't feel good here. I'm losing my hair. I'm... But you know what? There's always a hundredfold more things going right and well than are going negatively. Are we thankful for what we've been given, for what we have? What we have, Because we're not qualified on our own to receive anything. But God, this scripture says he enabled He qualified us to share in his inheritance. Inheritance reserved for his people because he's adopted you as his own. He knew what you were. He knew what you'd done. He he knew what you thought about. He chose you and adopted you to be his own child. How does that feel? How does that feel? He granted you eternal life. And it began the instant you were saved. He placed his spirit within you as a guarantee, as a seal for the inheritance that awaits you. Can you discern the spirit? When you're engaged in worship, when you're reading his word, when you're deep in prayer, can you discern the presence of his spirit? Can you? Let me see a hand if you can, if you can discern that. That's God's guarantee You belong to him. You know what? When you feel bad, when things are going awful at work, just go. But the spirit's within me and I know where I'm headed. I have an inheritance. I might not have much appreciation at work, but I have an inheritance in heaven. We live in the light of his son. You say, well, I live in a bad place or I work in a bad. No, no, no. That's not where you live if you belong to God. You live in the light of his son and it's a light of truth. It's a light of purity. It's a light of holiness because holiness actually doesn't mean well-behaved. It means set apart. You may, you may work in a place with a lot of people that aren't believers, but you reside in light in the midst of that darkness. Do you know that? Do you know that? You, you might be sitting at that desk, but you've been separated for God. You just happen to be occupied on this earth for a while yet. Are you aware what God has given? And are you grateful for it? For your resources. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? That when we made 25,000, we thought, boy, I wish I had a little more. Now you make 125, and all you can say is, I wish I had 225,000. Is that true? Have we stopped and said, God, I'm grateful for what you've given? It belongs to you. You loaned it to me, and I'm going to share some of it at least back. How much time do you spend thanking him? You know what, some of you that have really wonderful fathers, thank them today. Thank them today for the influence and the presence that man has been in your life. Verse 13, 
for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, all of us did live in the kingdom of darkness, the world dominated by sin, the world controlled by Satan. John 12, 31, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2. This world is not going to be perfected. You know what's gonna happen? You're gonna fit in less and less and less. Anybody feeling that right now? See, because you're, you reside here but you live in the kingdom of Christ because he purchased you, you've been bought. You said, that sounds terrible, that sounds like slavery. No, 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 this is bought by someone who loves you and gave himself for you and has an eternal place already prepared for you. He purchased our freedom with his blood. Never get away from that. He forgave us our sins, Ephesians 1, 7. And we will reside in this world for a while. But boy, it's going faster than we thought, hasn't it? I'm 60 and I've got one foot on a banana peel and some of y'all are standing where it's slipperier than for me. But you live here as a representative of a majestic, holy, glorious king. Do you know that? Every day, you live in this world, but you certainly are not to be part of this world. If you feel restless, you ever feel out of place? Like you don't belong? That's exactly how you should feel. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should not feel too comfortable in this world. You aren't here to enjoy it. You're here to serve in it. You're here to represent God in this world. And you reside in the light always. You say, well, I don't, I don't experience that, Perry. Well, Counselors, you come to the front. I'm closing the service. They're here to talk to you. They're here to pray with you. Remember the soul training. Practice it this week. There's always a soul training exercise. And you can see there on the back of your message guide. This is just another way to experience the presence of God throughout the week. But as I close, I want to pray for you. Here's what I want to do. I want you all to stand and I just want to pray a prayer of blessing on you. Just like Paul prayed for his, his children in Colossians. I'm praying for you. God, give your people knowledge of your will. But Lord, also give them the power to live according to your will. Grant us, Lord, awareness and gratefulness for what you've done. Give us awareness and appreciation that you've delivered us out of a kingdom of darkness and you have placed us in the kingdom of Jesus Christ who loved us and died to free us from sin. Enable us as your children 
to always live in the light of your son. Amen. Membership class is Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pod D. Call your father. Tell him thanks. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected at Brookwood. If you want to reach out to us to serve or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or give us a call at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.